SOAS Radio. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Professor Playlist on SOAS Radio. I'm Almira, and today in the studio, I'm joined by Dr. Mira Sabaratnam. Amongst many things, Mira is a senior lecturer in international relations at SOAS and also chairs the Decolonizing SOAS Working Group. So, from one Mira to another, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. So I've just read out a very brief description of who you are based on what I've read on the website. Uh, But why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Okay, well, I'm a scholar of international relations um, and have been working in the field for nearly 15 years or so. And I mostly focus on what we might call the colonial and post-colonial dimensions of world politics. And I think about that through international relations theory. I think about that in terms of the methods we use to study the world. And I think about what the empirical implications of that are. So that's my broad area of interest. Now, that, that's a whole lot of words. So if I always like asking this question, which is, if you were to explain to a 10-year-old what it is that you do, what it is that you research, how would you go about explaining that to them? Okay, well, this is a good challenge because uh, I always try and get PhD students to get their PhD thesis down to a single tweet. Um, what I am doing is looking at how power affects how we understand the world. And specifically, if somebody is less powerful, how do they see the world differently? So, you know, to a 10-year-old, your teacher sees the class in one way, but how do the students see it? How does the janitor see it? How does the person who comes and, you know, cleans up after you see it? So we've asked you to pick five tracks that are meaningful to you in one way or another. Um, and that's a pretty difficult thing to do. It's kind of a mean thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle to get it down to five. It was almost six until almost until six. five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, but before we go into each of them, could you tell us how did you go about selecting these five tracks that we're going to hear? Because they're quite an interesting five, very powerful five. Well, I suppose I thought I'd take the opportunity of doing this podcast to tell a bit about how my personal life stories interacted with my research interests and my approach to politics and thinking about how we can be politically active and engaged in the world. And so... It's a combination of things that I suppose I've experienced and then things that I think about. Let's start with the first track. What have we got? Okay, so the first track is uh, Give Me Hope, Joanna by Eddie Grant, um, which came out in the late 80s. I should probably know the exact date when it came out, but I don't remember because I was quite small. And um, I've chosen it as a sort of reflection of where I felt the political moment was in the 80s in in the environment that I was in so I want to kind of start this story a bit further back actually with um with my dad uh, who uh, immigrated to the UK in 1968 uh, from Sri Lanka for the purposes of studying and with all of the uh, availability there was for Commonwealth students at that time to study and he came to the UK uh, worked all kinds of low-paid jobs uh, studied uh, for various uh, degrees got his PhD eventually and he was in a milieu where there was obviously a lot of racism and hostility to uh, non-white people coming to Britain uh, from abroad, even though they were being actively encouraged by the government. And, and then my mother joined him after they got married in the late 70s, and they um, lived in lots of different places. One of the places that 
they lived when we were growing up, when I was small, was Tottenham, which in the early 80s was a very interesting place as far as the politics of anti-racism were concerned. There was an increasing solidarity that had been growing up through the 60s and 70s between black and Asian uh, populations from the West Indies specifically and from South Asia around how to deal with and combat racism. And my dad was part of that circle in the 80s in Tottenham. So he was part of the Labour Party um, and worked closely with uh, Bernie Grant, who was Britain's first black MP, getting him elected in 1987. One of my first memories is actually rolling around on the campaign bus with my dad. I guess he had to look after us that day, as he often did, um, and uh, with blowing up sort of party balloons and having the loudspeakers on going around Tottenham talk, telling people to vote Bernie Grant. Anyway, so the milieu that he was in, I remember looking back on it as an interesting time in which there was a lot of anti-racist work in Tottenham and in the spaces that we were in and uh, my dad being part of that work. So this song, Give Me Hope, Joanna, is one that it was very popular in the late 80s. Obviously, a lot of people know the song. Um, I think what was not obvious to a lot of people, particularly younger people at the time, is that, of course, it's a passionate song, anti-apartheid song, um, put together by a, an artist from Barbados, um, but one which went global and for us as an immigrant family I think it and I say family not just meaning there's nuclear family but of course all the cousins and so on that went along with it um, it was a song that it would always be on at parties and family gatherings or on the radio and I associate it with a time in which we were being educated as small children to celebrate sort of anti-racist pride in fairly mundane ways rather than big political ways um I remember, for example, you just you'd always cheer for the sports people in the Olympics that were from the West Indies, from Africa, from the Commonwealth countries. It was just like, you know, come on, black people, come on, brown people. <laughs> a sense of brown pride. Then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this song for me resonates very strongly with that era. Um, many decades later, when I went to Mozambique to do my field work for my book, uh, decolonizing intervention, which is an attempt to account for the experiences of international aid from the perspective of the targets in Mozambique. Uh, I was at a karaoke night because that's the sort of thing I like to do. Um, I was at this karaoke night and it was a fairly uh, indifferent, laid back. And a guy who had been standing very still at the back came up to the stage and, and did this song and literally the whole place exploded. And it was just a lovely moment. And it was, of course, a reminder that that struggle against apartheid, that sort of global anti-racist, anti-colonial uh, vibe was one which was not just angry and resistant, but also very joyful and very happy. And this song is about hope. All right. So this is Gimme Hope, Joanna by Eddie Grant. She's got a 
So that was Gimme Hope Joanna by Eddie Grant. And I was talking to Mira off air just now while we were jamming out to this. And I just found out that during your days uh, at Oxford as an undergraduate, you were trying to be a music journalist with the student paper. Oh, yeah. And I was completely obsessed with um, going to gigs and writing about them and doing album reviews. And so I was the music editor at the um, Charwell, which is the Oxford, one of the two Oxford University student newspapers. Was there a particular style of music that you were interested in at the time well yeah I was I was quite into Indian punk and that kind of thing so yeah it was heavily based around those things but I, I've always had a fairly eclectic palette I think so yeah I would go to all kinds of things mostly I would try and get the photographer passes so I could stand right in the front in front of the people in the front row and that was good my camera work was never very good though and you were telling me that oh, you started a band in LSE during your PhD days and you are still in that band. Tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that keeps us all sane, I think, uh, when we hang out. Um, so that is a band that formed, of course, like all bands, the initial conversation was at some point in the pub when we found out that various members of the group at the table had different musical skills and overlapping musical interests. So we got together and uh, used to just spend a lot of time jamming and drinking and jamming and drinking in a sort of circular way. And the name of your band is? So the band has cycled through lots of names, but the current name is also the original name, which is the Susan Strange Sensation. And this is a play on the fact that Susan Strange was the first professor, woman professor of international relations at the LSE. And also it's a hat tip to Robert Plant's band, The Strange Sensation, which is not particularly important to us, except that it flows nicely, The Susan Strange Sensation. And out of curiosity, what is your role in the band? Uh, I'm the singer. Oh, okay. A, well, I'm a singer, but I don't play any of the other instruments. And do you have any gigs coming up? Can we watch you play anytime? <laughs> or is this something you'd like to keep private away from SOAS life? I'm not sure. Uh, well, so actually we did play a um, a gig a couple of weeks ago. We don't play very often now because, uh, partly because half the band is decamped to Brighton and um, uh, one of our band members also has a very long commute and two small children now. So rehearsing is a little bit trickier than when we were all just kind of hanging around uh, together. We Yeah, we get together. We have a good time. <laughs> and we can't find you on YouTube or Spotify or anything, can we? It's unlikely. Um, there might be some very old videos on YouTube, you know, back when when we were younger. Let the stalking commence. <laughs> all right. <laughs> You're going to see uh, an increase in, in video views. Uh, all right. But lots of interesting discoveries about Mira, but go on, we must. So let's move on to your second track. Tell me what it is and why you chose it. Okay, so I suppose we're passing from my pre-teens into my early teens now if we think about these songs as a kind of biographical journey um so the song that I've chosen is Zombie by the Cranberries um which is a great song and I'll maybe talk about that in a bit but the reason I chose it is because I suppose war and conflict have been relatively influential parts of not my direct daily experience but the wider constellation of my life so being the child of Sri Lankan parents obviously the long war in Sri Lanka um, affected everybody in the country very deeply but particularly the Tamils and the Tamils in the north many of whom had to leave the area or chose to leave the area as a result of the violence that was going on so actually I was very close to growing up in Sri Lanka because there was trouble starting around the time that my parents had moved to the UK but their plan was always to go back and um, uh, after my younger sister was born all of the stuff 
stuff was actually in boxes already to return to Sri Lanka. And then the big massacres of July 1983 took place. Right? It was sort of ethnic rioting, quite a lot of genocidal violence. Um, and so they decided to just not go back until the war ended. And of course, the war continued for several decades afterwards. So we ended up growing up in the UK. I was always sort of conscious of that war and having a lot of feelings about it, which you don't necessarily compute in a sophisticated way as a teenager, except that, you know, you know, the war and violence are bad and uh, these things are very painful. My mother's father had been a politician in the north running up to the early 80s, but he was assassinated by part of the rebel groups who were accused him of being a traitor and then on the other side I had family who were much more um, sympathetic to the separatist movement and uh, so on. So the war has been something that has significantly affected lots of dynamics not just in the family but in the wider Tamil community of course for a long time. So I've not chosen a song about the Sri Lankan war I've chosen a song by the Cranberries in part because you know being a sort of budding indie kid the Cranberries were the sort of thing that you listen to but when I listened to songs about Ireland, I was also always thinking about Sri Lanka. Right. So from what I understand, like you do seem to be surrounded by family members who who have been and are quite politically active and quite socially engaged. I mean, growing up as a kid and teenager, did that, you know, seep into your own sort of life or Oh definitely, yeah, for sure. Um I mean I think I was always interested in politics. I wrote when I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old, there was this newspaper called The Early Times, which was, at the, in the late 80s, early 90s, there were a few sort of junior versions of newspapers which broadsheets used to put out, and one of them was The Early Times. Um, and I remember writing in a letter about racist bullying, aged 10 or 11, to you've, that. You've always been sort of a woke kid, yeah. even from 10 years old. And I remember writing in a letter about... Um, the big issue when I was I think about 15 about drugs policy because it, it was all these debates about the legalization of drugs going on at the time and um, the uh, the death of Leah Betts who had died from taking an ecstasy pill which was huge all over the newspaper so yeah even then I was writing angry letters <laughs> And nothing's really changed since. Nothing has really changed since. All right, well, we're going to give this a listen. This is Zombie by the Cranberries. All right.
That was Zombie by The Cranberry. So I'm finding out more and more about Mira and how she is quite a music enthusiast as well, which I did not know before. And you were telling me before we started the interview that you were quite a punk. Is that true? Well, I, <laughs> I, I became sort of inclined that way, let's say. I liked the loud music. I had a cousin who would make me tapes of sort of grunge albums like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and uh, yeah, found friends who liked similar kinds of stuff and then, you know, was would consume all of the music magazines that sort of when I was smaller we'd be buying smash hits and reading about pop and then graduated onto Enemy and Melody Maker and those kinds of publications and then would be trying to find things to listen to quite a lot of it was on the radio at the time in the early 90s and you'd sit there with your tape and then press record and play at the same time and try not to get the DJ speaking over it and then make you know mixes and stuff. Did you have the hair and the clothes as well? Well so Obviously, on the one hand, I was listening to all this stuff. On the other hand, I was attending a fairly um, respectable private school, let's say. <laughs> and so uh, I didn't do that much. I did There were a few attempts to dye my hair pink at various points. But of course, one of the things that they don't tell you is when you're dealing with black hair, two hours is never enough. You need to solidly bleach that thing and then go for the pink because otherwise it won't take. And so, yeah, I think a lot of my teenage years at least cosmetically were spent experimenting with products meant for white people on black hair and brown skin <laughs> life hacks from dr mira sabaratnam yeah. yeah well tell us that leads us into the third track which is intellectualize my blackness by skunk ananzi that's a that's a really cool track tell me more about it and why you chose it the, the band certainly was the first big gig i went to they played the watford coliseum they were supported by a little known band at that point called the stereophonics who i thought were rubbish and i thought would never go anywhere <laughs> and then of course can't connect you with the headline that whole album paranoid and sunburn exploded onto the radio and exploded into my head really as something unbelievably cool you had a black woman lead singer, Skin, so for those of you who don't know the band, singing very political, very piercing, like intellectually and like sonically piercing material. And she was an incredible vocalist and the whole band. I mean, the rest of the band is not like the most technically amazing band in the world, but the sheer power of the lyrics and the musicality of the vocals and so on um, was just incredible. And so I chose this song because if you're... I suppose, younger and you've not really heard. You've heard political music before, but really nothing like this. Um, And particularly being sung by women, uh, it just left an enormous impression on me. And listening to it now, I guess, 20 something years later, it makes me realise that first, the issues are very, very much issues that we talk about today. In fact, we talk about even more today. I think in the 90s, the early 90s, we didn't have the level or ability to talk about race and racism in the same ways. So to hear this woman talking about something which was effectively quite a taboo subject in polite society was just very thrilling and very, yeah, very impactful. So the chorus is the the, re- the one that really hits home the most. And if I can read out the first two lines, it Please goes, uh, he tried to intellectualize my blackness to make it easier for his whiteness. I was wondering whether you could tell us more about what it is about that that resonates with you and what it means for you personally. I mean, to some extent, it almost means more to me now than it did then, because I think I hadn't experienced quite so much of the world. And to me now, it's just a very neat way of saying that when we meet things that make us uncomfortable, we try and rationalize them. And I know because I do this all the time, right? And we see it consistently. Um, And it's a very characteristic um, 
dynamic in when we look at conversations about racism, about sexism, about um, transphobia and all of these things. Um, what we often see is somebody makes a claim, an assertive claim that disrupts the status quo. And then people have this sort of instinctive defensive response to it and they try and contain it and they try and rationalize it. And it's not that the rationalizations don't help. Okay, fine, race, race is socially constructed. Yeah, we know that. But that's not the thing to say at the point at which somebody is making a claim on your humanity, right? And so it's about, the song is really about the ways in which the attempts to engage, contain, rationalize, limit, does something problematic in the face of a claim about injustice and power. So a lot of the work I've been doing on decolonizing, it's been quite fun, but um, you do get some questions that come up again and again, which are attempts to deflect and contain rather than confront the issues. So for example, when I talk about the effects of uh, European colonialism in the wider world or the, you know, the injustices created by empire, I often get a response which is something like, well, what about non-European empires? What about the Japanese? What about the Ottoman Empire? What about the Mongols? Didn't they maraud and kill and so on? I'm like, yeah, but that's not really the point, right? And so um, it's one of those elements of sophistry, right? The attempt to push back with something that is basically irrelevant to the thing that you're talking about. Anything else you want to say about this song? The whole album is is great. And if you get a chance to see this band live, do, because they have still got it. All right. So this is Intellectualize My Blackness by Skunk Anansi.
All right, that was Intellectualize My Blackness by Skunk Anansi. And Mira, you wanted to say something to recommend to people should they listen to this track and the one before. Oh, well, just listen to them loudly. They're meant to be played at high volume. Very, very loud in a dark room alone somewhere. Well, I don't know. You can, you can walk down the street with it. That's pretty good as anyway. well. All right. Uh, tell us about your next track. Okay, so um, the next track is going to have a long intro to it, but it's Just Like a Woman. The original is by Bob Dylan, but I've chosen the version by Nina Simone. And I chose this because I suppose I wanted to talk about some things to do with coming, um, sort of confronting gender and confronting sexism and, and what it meant to sort of become a woman in a knowing way, in a reflexive way. So one of the reasons I was into Indian punk a lot as a teenager is, so one of the expectations I think that we had as Asian girls in North London in the 90s is that you'd be listening to R&B. And whilst there was a lot of great R&B at the time, um, a lot of the stuff that was in the charts and that was pumped out through the radio stations uh, was pretty sexist, right? It was um, very, I mean, it was very sexual and very sexist in terms of how it portrayed women and how it portrayed uh, relationships. And going into the indie facing stuff didn't wholly get rid of that but I thought it had and I was listening to yes a lot of grungy stuff a lot of hunky stuff and as I went into uni um I got into more folky stuff in part because I was picking up my guitar again and thinking about how to play songs and folk is really easy to play generally because there's like three chords in it so that's quite good and I was listening a lot to Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and listening to them talk about romance and women and so both of those are like you know great artists great poets and so on but their women, the women in their songs, the women that populated their songs were really just kind of objects, right? They were mysterious, they were beautiful, they were unknowable, they did surprising things for unexplained reasons. And so I suppose in some respects, I was leaning on the poetry of folk music to teach me something about love and relationships. Um, but I always felt that there was a gap between what I was listening to and where I could find myself in it. And I was like, oh, maybe I have to become a mysterious and unknowable woman, right? Um, which wasn't me and I wasn't certainly wasn't mysterious and unknowable to myself. Um, which is where the encounter with Nina Simone then became very uh, important. Of course, I've been listening to powerful women artists before that, but there's something about Nina Simone's command and gravitas and reinterpretation of a lot of these songs and explicitly political reinterpretation of a lot of songs that really called to me. So I particularly like this cover that she does of Bob Dylan's song, which I think in the Dylan original is poetic and fantastic, but basically also a bit sexist, right? It's about the frailty of woman as seen by a slightly sneering, slightly hurt former lover. And you find this a lot in Dylan's kind of accounts of women, I think. But sung by Nina Simone, particularly as she shifts in the third verse to singing it in the first person, reappropriates and reinterprets that relationship between strength and weakness, between adulthood and childishness um, in a very important way. So the lyric is, she aches just like a woman, she makes love just like a woman. But then the last line of the chorus is, she breaks just like a little girl. So when Bob Dylan singing, it's like, ah, she aches just like... He's, he's doing it in a way which it does not occupy the position of the person who is being strong and on the other hand being weak. But for Nina Simone, she is. All right, let's give it a listen. So this is Just Like a Woman by Nina Simone.
she takes Just like a woman Yes, she does And she makes love Just like a woman And she aches Just like a woman But she breaks like a little girl Nobody feels any pain Tonight as I stand inside the rain Everybody knows Baby's got new clothes Lately I see Her ribbons and her bones And the problems From her curls She takes just like a woman So that was Just Like a Woman by Nina Simone. And both of us off air were talking about how much we love Nina Simone's voice, which is really unique. There's something about it. And Mira, would you like to talk a little bit more about what you hear in that voice? I mean, it's, a, it's such a powerful voice. But one of the things I love about it is that it's both powerful and it's very honest. It's not um, dressed up in um, what we might call sort of slightly flouncy flourishes. Like a lot of the people that were big, singers women singers in the in the 90s were people like Celine Dion Mariah Carey and and their whole thing was really I think about showboating but what I love about Nina Simone's performances and of course when comparing chalk and cheese really is is this not about showboating like she can go off and do the very elaborate jazz improvisations for example at the end of feeling good that she does um, which is inimitable but she never puts feeling in through flourish Right. She does it just purely with the like the tone and the strength and the timbre of her voice, which I find very amazing. And so speaking about powerful women, do you have a female role model that you look up to? I've got to say my mum, haven't I? <laughs> no, my mum is uh, pretty amazing. She um, is someone who has at the same time you know, done a full-time job as a psychiatric consultant, written a PhD, raised two children... And now she's off traveling the world, learning Sanskrit. She's done her GCSE and her A-level since she's been retired. Uh, sorry, her AS level. She's working on her A-level now. Um, so she's just somebody that keeps growing, keeps learning, believes she can do anything and then just does it. What do you think is the number one lesson you've learned from your mom? Oh, just get on with it. <laughs> All right. So we're down to our final track. Tell us a little bit about this one. This is a quite a classic. It is a classic. And again, I feel like um, maybe it's, a, it's in some respects an obvious choice. Uh, so over the last few years, I've been involved in various kinds of political activity. So as a union activist or trying to work on uh, anti-racist causes in my in earliest 
phases, of course, uh, involved in anti-war causes and um, this kind of thing. So this last track is really about um, what it means to be involved in political struggle and how you can deal with the fact that even as you're involved in trying to make the world better, things are always imperfect and things always fail and you have to come back and do them over again or keep trying. Um, and particularly as you go through, as you've gone through a few phases or cycles of activism and struggle, as I feel like I've done now, the lessons that you learn or the or the disposition that you cultivate towards it. Um, so the song is Anthem by Leonard Cohen. For all of it, really, and but mostly, of course, for the chorus, uh, the lyrics of which are um, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I feel I wanted to play this song in part because I think it's a good one for us to listen to uh, in a university context. Lots of young people um, fighting for amazing causes. And I'm so inspired by the SOAS students um, who are way more switched on than I was, I think, at, at uni and who have done amazing things in terms of activism inside and outside the institution. Um, but speaking from my, you know, granny's armchair, I think sometimes people are quite hard on themselves and on each other when things aren't perfect and they don't go right or they haven't managed to achieve everything that they wanted to. Um, and I feel like this song is a reminder that it's going to go again, you're going to do this again, and the thing that you did wrong last time or that happened badly last time is the thing that you can learn from and do something better with next time. The birds they sang at the break of day Start again I heard them say away or what is yet to be yeah the war they will be fought again the holy dove she will be cut again Anthem by Leonard Cohen. 
Is there any advice that you would give to young activists, uh, maybe young activists at SOAS? So I think for me, my advice would be whatever you do, do it with uh, dignity, do it with discipline and do it with respect. And there's basically two or three reasons for this. Um, the first is, of course, that we are in the surveillance generation. Anything you do is going to be on YouTube forever and ever and be recorded and these things can be used against you later in your life. That's a fairly instrumental thing. The other thing is actually about political organising. You always need the numbers and you can only get things done if you can take a lot of people with you. And taking a lot of people with you means earning their respect. It means earning their trust. It means not being willing to shaft them for some wider end. And I think being accountable to your community in that way and the people for whom you are trying to be active is is really important um so yeah but i'm so impressed by it and i'm always learning from the student activists here so i'm definitely learning from them as much as i might be doling out advice thank you very much mira for coming on professor playlist and are you on social media is there any way we can follow you are you on twitter yeah i don't tweet very often but my twitter handle is at mira sabaratnam and um yeah, you can read my stuff online. And check out your um, your band oh God, on do YouTube. Not <laughs> right. Do not check out my band. Do not check out my band. Thank you, Mira. All right. This has been Professor Playlist on SOAS Radio. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.